All right. Getting all my mics turned on here. Um, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that the Word of God, the Bible is um, sharper than any two-edged sword, that it's able to pierce the bone and the marrow, uh, that it's living and active. Uh, and oftentimes when we come to the Bible, we don't see it that way. Uh, we think that this is just another old book. Uh, but something happens when we open up the Bible um, because the Holy Spirit hangs out in the Bible. And so when we open it up, uh, it's a big deal. Uh, the Bible's living and active. And so when we open it up, and when, as we open it up tonight, we should be anticipating uh, and expecting God to do something very big in our lives. And so I hope you are um, tonight. I hope you're expecting uh, God to work in your heart and in your life um, through His Word and through His Spirit. Let me pray uh, to begin, and then we will uh, dig in. Father, uh, we come once again needy and dependent people, uh, though we try to um, live uh, on our own, uh, we know that life that way doesn't work. And so we come and we lay ourselves before you uh, one more time, and we ask you to come and to work in our life, to work in our heart, to use the words uh, from uh, the Bible and from the passage that we're going to look at tonight. And we pray that you would take them and actually um, pierce us with them uh, for our good. Uh, Would you change us and help us to grow? Uh, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. It is towards, by the way... Awesome for bringing your Bibles. A lot, a lot of Bibles, and it's great to see those Bibles turning. Uh, Hebrews, if you don't know where that's at, it's towards the back of your Bible. It's a few pages past 2 Timothy. It's totally cool if you don't know where it's at. If you need to look in the uh, uh, index, your table of contents, that's totally fine. So Hebrews chapter 2. Let me review. We're talking this weekend, what do you need to know to grow? How do you grow in the Christian life? Uh, That's kind of the topic. Uh, Friday night, last night, we talked about this idea that uh, from the Mark 4, uh, the parable of the four soils, you know, the seeds cast on different soils. There are different responses to the gospel. And the big idea is you can't grow as a Christian unless you are a Christian. Are you on fertile soil? Have you examined your heart? This morning, we talked about This idea of uh, oftentimes we don't grow because uh, our lives and the fruit gets choked out by the cares of the world. And so we need to do some weeding. We need to, in other words, fight sin in our life. And so this morning we talked about what it looks like to actually cut back the kudzu. Remember we talked about sin as 
like kudzu and it kind of climbs on us um, and coils around us before we know it. So we talked about practically speaking, what does it look like uh, to cut sin out of our life? Tonight, we're going to narrow in on one specific weed, if you will, or one specific thorn uh, in the Christian life. Uh, And we're going to look at this idea of apathy, uh, which is the killer of spiritual growth. You've probably all seen at this point, or at least uh, you know, heard about the movie Soul Surfer. How many people have seen Soul Surfer? Yeah, practically everyone uh, in the room. It's a movie about a girl uh, named Bethany Hamilton. True story. Uh, and her goal in life, her dream, was to become a world-class surfer. And when she was 15 years old, She was floating on a surfboard off the coast of Hawaii with her good friend, Alana Blanchard. She tells the story this way. This is the way she describes it. She was laying on a board on her belly, and she had her arms dangling off the edge of the surfboard in the water beside her. And suddenly, out of nowhere, she feels a tug on her left arm. Here were her words. You know what it's like when you bite into a piece of steak. And it's kind of tough. And so you have to jerk it. She said that's what it was like. And she looked down to the water beside her, and she sees a pool of blood. It was then that she realized that she'd been bitten by a shark and that the shark had actually bitten her arm off all the way up to the shoulder. The shark also bit into the surfboard and as the experts kind of looked at her surfboard, they believed that the shark was at least eight feet long and was most likely a tiger shark. But here is the most astounding thing about all of it. You know what she said? She says that there wasn't even a ripple. I tell you that story. Because friends, there is a fin in the water here tonight. And there's not even a ripple. And it will tear the Christian limb from limb. And the person sitting next to you won't even know that you've been mauled. What is it? It's apathy. It's the, nah, whatever. I really don't care. Now, is it really that big a deal? attitude that is so pervasive in our culture, so pervasive even in our church, and I want to suggest this evening that it is the number one killer of spiritual growth. Friends, do you realize that most people who shipwreck their faith, 
don't wake up one morning and just decide that they're no longer going to follow Jesus. They don't wake up one morning uh, and decide and make one single wrong decision in their life that totally sends their life off track. Now, you know what happens? They drift slowly and surely to a place that they never thought they would be. You see, the book of Hebrews was written to a community who was in the place that they never thought they would be. They were losing their way. They were drifting away from Jesus. And the writer is writing to get them back on track. Listen, this passage is one of the most sobering passages in the Bible. But you know, it is so necessary for us. You know, we look at a passage like this and we think, man, it's hard. But you know what? It is actually the most loving thing that God could do for us is to give us a passage in the Holy Word of God like this. Because it is actually helping us to be faithful to Him. There is no more vivid picture in all of Scripture of the dangers of spiritual growth than the one I'm about to read. Follow along with me as I read Hebrews 2. 1 through 4. This is God's holy and inspired word. Therefore, we must pay closer attention. Is that what it says? No, it says we must pay much, or some of your translations, more closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. There was a book that was written a few years ago now. The title of the book was Not Without Hope. It was written by a former NFL football player, Nick Schuyler. And you might be familiar with the story, but he tell, the whole book is about a fishing experience that he had with three of his friends. Two of them were also former football players in the NFL. They were on a fishing trip off the coast of South Florida. Suddenly the weather turned pretty frightening. A huge storm come rolling in. The sky got black. The wind started to pick up. The rain started pouring down. They decided they needed to head for safety. Well, the anchor was stuck. And instead of cutting the anchor, which you should do when it's stuck, they decided to pull the anchor around and move it to the back of the boat. The anchor never did release. And so the back of the boat is submerged in water. The boat starts to take on more and more water until it eventually capsized and turned over. And now all four men are in 60 degree water 
If you know anything about 60 degree water, that's not very warm. The weather continued to get worse. One of the men finally decided, and they're all hanging on to this boat, decided to swim under the boat, grab the life jackets. They put on the life jackets. Minutes turned to hours. And hours turned into a day. And now it was night. And the men were literally freezing to death. Schuyler, as he talks about this experience, said he could see the hypothermia coming on. You know, one of the men starts to... um, slur his words. Another man became agitated. Another one of his friends, his motor functions began to shut down. Hypothermia was beginning to set in. And Skyler makes this comment, which was interesting. We were football players. We were in the best shape of our life. We thought we were invincible. But you see, they were no match for hypothermia. What is hypothermia? Hypothermia is a condition where you have a steady and incremental decrease in the body's core temperature. And when it gets to a certain low level, it begins to tumble out of control and becomes unstoppable and will kill you unless you get to some external heating source in order to warm the body back up. You know, many of us tonight are experiencing what I call spiritual hypothermia. There's been a decrease in your body and its spiritual temperature has has begun to decline. Some of you have lost your first love. Your love for Jesus has suddenly grown cold. Your commitment to Him and your commitment to obedience and holiness has grown stale and become a drag. And so the question that we're going to look at tonight, how do we prevent this? How do we prevent or even reverse the effects of spiritual hypothermia in our life? Three ways. Pay much closer attention. Heed the warning, and thirdly, bask in the sun. Look at number one. We must pay, notice I pointed this out in the reading, more careful attention. The writer of the Bible, the writers of the Bible, they don't just kind of like add words, just say, man, i got to get to a thousand pages, okay? So I need to add. No, every word is very intentional. He says pay not just careful attention, much careful attention. And here's what that implies. What we might think is adequate attention to our spiritual life is not enough. Pay more careful attention. Even more than we think we're doing. Secondly, I want you to notice it's very, it's very subtle and we could miss this. Notice that the author uses the word we. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say you need to pay more careful attention. He says we. What does that imply? That's frightening to me. Here's why. 
Because a writer of Holy Scripture, of the Bible, a book of the Bible, is saying that he too is susceptible to spiritual drifting. It's that subtle. No one is immune. Not the elders of your church. Not your parents. Not people that have grown up in the church and been baptized as babies and been in the church their entire life. Not pastors. Not campus ministers. Not youth leaders. No one is immune. It is that subtle. Look at verse 1 again. This is the first of five warnings in the book of Hebrews about the dangers of spiritual drift. And it's interesting, the writer uses nautical language. It's found in the word drift. So here's the picture. The picture is a, the image of a ship whose anchor has broken loose from the ocean floor and the ship is suddenly drifting out aimlessly into the sea. What are they drifting away from? Look at verse 1 again. From what you have heard. They're drifting away from a message that they have received. What is that message? Look at verses 3 and 4. It's the message of the gospel. Drifting away from the greatness of salvation. Spiritual drift is always a drift away from Jesus. You know, sadly, one of the characteristics of college students is spiritual drift. Why is that? Well, because I said last night that uh, often when people get to college, they are outed by reality. In other words, the true anchor of their heart is truly revealed and shown for what they are really building their life on. And here's the unfortunate thing. In our culture, in our community of over-the-mountain Birmingham, we have been pushed, often unintentionally, to build our lives and our, drop our anchors in all the wrong places. To drop our anchors in things like body image, popularity, social status, material wealth and possessions. And the problem with that is, is when you get to college, your faith becomes your own and you suddenly have to own it. And if you are not anchored in the right place, if you're not anchored in Jesus and the gospel and the church, mark my words, the current of the culture will suck you out and you will experience a decline in your spiritual temp temperature. And a drift away from Jesus will start to take place. Here's another thing to note about this word drift. Is it happens largely unnoticed, doesn't it? What do you have to do? What does a ship have to do to drift? That's not anchored. The same thing that a Christian has to do to drift away from Jesus. Absolutely nothing. Did you hear that? That is the scary part in the whole thing. We often think that it's a drift is a result of something that we do. Oh man, I've blown it big time. Or I, I, I did the thing that I never thought I would do and now how can Jesus love me? There's no way I'm really going to be able to get back on track spiritually. No! 
That's not what causes spiritual drift. It's not a, res- a result of something that we do. It's a result of something that we don't do. It's a result of something that we stop doing. What do we stop doing? We stop paying attention to our spiritual life and our relationship with Jesus and we begin to decline and hypothermia begins to set in. Every summer we take a trip with RUFs all over the country to summer conference. We go to Panama City Beach and thousands of students from all over the country come. I remember last summer I was with my students. We were out on the beach. I was uh, reading a book. All of my students were kind of hanging out. I'm talking. All of my students decided to go out and ride the waves. The waves were pretty good that day. And so they walk out right in front of me and start riding the waves in. I look down and I read two more pages in my book. I look up. They're gone. I look about three hotels down. And that's where my students were. And so they come to the shore and they have to walk about a quarter of a mile back to their towels and back to their chairs. And the scary part is, you've been there, you know what that's like. You're out in the water. They didn't even know it was happening. They looked up. And suddenly they have drifted. That is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Spiritual drift goes largely unnoticed. We are being dragged away oftentimes and we end up in a place that we never thought we would be. But you know, hypothermia does come with some signs. You might have heard of them before, but some of the signs of hypothermia are what's called the umbles. You begin to mumble because you can't think clearly. You begin to fumble because your hands don't work right. And you begin to stumble because there's not enough oxygen getting to the muscles in your legs to hold you up. You know, drifting is subtle. But like hypothermia, it does actually come with some warning signs that it actually might be setting in your heart. Here are a few of them. We could list tons But let me list three quickly. One warning sign that you might be experiencing spiritual hypothermia is lukewarmness. That's the person that's neither hot nor cold. They're simply lukewarm. Have you become so familiar with the Bible that it does nothing more than lead you to a boring yawn? Better yet, have you been going to church so long, some of you, your whole life, and this is serious, and it's dangerous, that you have trained yourself to endure sermons rather than really listen to them and actually go do what the Bible says. Did you hear that? Are you just enduring sermons on Sunday morning and in your youth group? when the Word is opened up, and even here tonight? Or are you really listening to what God is telling you? When you open up the Bible, is it just another old book? If so, you're in trouble, spiritually speaking. What's another 
sign. Well, you start to minimize sin. This is the person who finds themselves thinking like, well, I know the Bible says that I'm not supposed to look lustfully at another person, but what does that really mean anyway? Or yeah, I know the Bible says that we're to flee sexual immorality, but surely that's just talking about the actual physical act of sex and everything else is okay. Friends, if you start going down that path, you've already shown your cards. You are drifting and hypothermia is starting to set in. Or what about this one? The person who focuses only on the externals of their life rather than focusing on their heart. Are you more concerned with all of this out here and maintaining a certain image rather than your heart and what is going on on the inside of you? You see, spiritual hypothermia is always a drift away from Jesus to false saviors. That is why it is so serious. Write this question down. Think about this question. What are the currents right now in your life, in your school, in your circles that are dragging you away from Jesus? What are the currents that are dragging you away? Are you paying attention to the signs? What are the warning signs? What are the dashboard lights saying? Are they going off? If we're going to prevent spiritual hypothermia, if we're going to kind of root out apathy, if you will, we've got to pay much closer attention. Secondly, heed the warning. Look at verses 2 and 3. Let me be clear. The author is not calling into question, you've got to hear this, our assurance of salvation. In this church, we believe that if you're a Christian, you can't lose your salvation, okay? You can never be snatched out of God's hand. But what the author is saying is that you can be a Christian. You can go to church every Sunday, youth group every week, be involved in all kinds of religious activities, and yet be one who neglects or ignores the gospel and ignores Jesus. The warning here, if you look at it, it's actually an argument in verses 2 and 3, from the lesser to the greater. Here's, here's, let me try to explain what he's trying to do. He's basically putting a contrast before us. And he puts before us the revelation of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. And he contrasts that revelation with the revelation of Jesus Christ in the flesh in the New Testament. And his argument is this, if breaking the Ten Commandments brought punishment, then how much more if you neglect such a wonderful Savior in Jesus? John Calvin is a theologian, he was a pastor and a writer. He has this quote and it says, it's not just the rejecting of the Gospel, but it's also the neglecting of the Gospel. That, that deserves the severest penalty. Friends, that is the weight of this passage. You know, I told you earlier that we moved to Oxford, Mississippi. 
in the summer. And when you move, you got to get a new doctor, new dentist, you know, the routine. And when you go to establish and become a new patient at a, a physician's practice, they want to give you a physical. They want to establish some sort of baseline for your health. I hate physicals. They're no fun. I dread them, but they're important, aren't they? Because they actually reveal important things about our health. Absolutely necessary. You know what the writer of Hebrews is saying? We need to give ourselves a spiritual exam. And we need to ask ourselves, what is really going on in our hearts? How are we doing? The overarching concern here, at first glance, people have looked at this passage and said, yeah, he's talking to non-Christians. He's talking to people that have just flat out rejected Jesus. Yeah, of course, they're drifting. They're going to get the severest penalty. Yeah, we get that. No, he's not. The writer is talking to the church. He's talking to people like you and me that have professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In other words, he's not concerned with those that reject the gospel. The writer is concerned with those that are ignoring the gospel. The ones to whom are no longer moved by Jesus. The ones that are no longer moved by the cross. The warning, friends, is for those that are apathetic. The warning is for those that are flippant with their Christianity. The warning is for those that say, nah, whatever, I don't really care. Is it really that big a deal? Friends, apathy, you got to hear this, it is so pervasive in our culture. It is far more lethal than any flat-out rejection of Jesus. Some of you might think your apathy is, just seems insurmountable. And if your apathy tonight seems insurmountable, is it not possible that you've never really been anchored in Jesus at all? Are you listening tonight? How can we escape punishment if we ignore such a wonderful Savior? And if this warning goes in one ear and out the other, or if you get up and walk out of these doors never to think about this again, you're drifting. Hypothermia has already set in. And the scary thing is about hypothermia is it hits you and it's almost too late before you ever realize it. That is why the author of the book of Hebrews is basically grabbing us by the collar. That's why it seems so intense, because it is. Because he's like, this is serious. And he's grabbing us and he's saying, wake up. Get out of your slumber, spiritually speaking. And he's looking at us and saying, how are you doing with Jesus? How's your spiritual life? You see, we prevent spiritual hypothermia from setting in by paying much closer attention, by heeding the warning, and thirdly and finally, basking in the sun. Look at verse 1. This is where he brings it all together. Pay much closer attention. What's interesting there is 
There's a word in that phrase that means to hold on to. To attach yourself to. What are we to attach ourselves to? Look at verse 1 again. To a message that we've heard. What is the message that we've heard, that we've received? Here it is. The gospel message. That's what he's saying. The greatness of our salvation. And so the author is saying, here's the cure for spiritual hypothermia. Here's the cure for apathy. It's to attach yourself and to hold on with all of your might to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? The whole book of Hebrews, read it. The author, time and after time after time, is putting before this church that is struggling, Jesus, and he's saying, fix your eyes on Him. And he goes, Jesus is greater than Joshua. Jesus, you know, you read the book, greater, the great high priest, He's greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than. Jesus is greater than. Jesus is greater than. That's all He says in the book. Why? Because He's trying to recapture their hearts, to recapture their affections, and to say, look at Jesus. He is far more greater than anything that you could ever think about trading Him in for. Remember the four football players that were on the fishing trip. All of them died of hypothermia except for Nick Schuyler. He was the only survivor and hypothermia was beginning to set in and he too was about to die and knew that death would be certain unless he could get before some external heating source very quickly. It was in those moments that a helicopter come flying over and actually spotted him in the water. The basket comes down out of the helicopter. He climbs in it. They pull him up. They wrap him in these warming blankets. And Skyler just sits and basks in the heat and the light of the sun. And as he did that, his body temperature began to go back up. That's what the author of Hebrews is doing tonight. What he's trying to do to us and what he's doing to those in this church that are struggling, the Hebrews, to reverse the effects of hypothermia. He is pushing us into the heat, into the light of Jesus, and he says, do nothing, bask. Bask in who Jesus is and what he's done. Here's the amazing thing about the Bible. The more I read it, and particularly in this book of Hebrews. But here these people are that are struggling. And when people are struggling spiritually, here's what we normally do. This is what I had growing up. Try harder. Get your act together. You shouldn't be doing that. Come on. He doesn't do that at all. You see, the cure for hypothermia is not moralism. It's not do better, try harder, Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know what the cure is and what the author does? is he says, draw near to Jesus again. Draw near to the Gospel. Because when we draw near to the Gospel and draw near to Jesus, here's what we find. Hang with me. When we draw near to Jesus, we find 
that Jesus experienced the ultimate spiritual hypothermia. When he went head first into the cold waters of God's justice and wrath. And he died on a cross so that you and I could be warmed by the Father's love. Did you hear that? Jesus died for you. And whatever it is that you're struggling with right now, whether it be apathy or whatever else is killing your growth, growth, Jesus died and nailed it to the cross. Friends, that is good news. And how could we ever neglect such a wonderful Savior? Are you suffering tonight? Is your life in spiritual decline? If so, friends, it'll kill your growth. And that's why we've got to hear the writer of Hebrews. And we've got to pay much closer attention. Heed the warning. And most importantly, bask in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, um,